Fun Session. This is Patrick Lillis, and glad you're listening, glad you're here, glad you're well. I hope everybody's healthy and doing good and ready for spring. And, you know, I hope it's optimistic about the vaccines. I feel like I may have talked about that last episode, but uh, the idea that the president says by the end of May or beginning of May, everybody's eligible is great. Um, It's been a year, just past a year this week. And, you know, my, I was thinking about everything we've done this year and, you know, just, it's amazing how much change has happened and just, you know, amazed at our, our ability to shift and, and keep going. And, you know, some of us took a break from creating some people, you know, I found it myself personally harder to write, but I was doing some and directing and, and shifting. And I know some people moved find space and live in a place of nature or do whatever they can. And I'm, I'm, as we're coming, you know, as we pass the year, I just think it's amazing how many, you know, we were able to continue, which I'll talk about that in a second, but also how many people were willing to make big shifts to start tackling artistic projects that they'd wanted to tackle, to start doing things in a new way, to take a break, like I said, to move, all that stuff. It's really brave. And all of it, also self-preservation a little bit of, you know, this is what I need right now. And I, I don't know, as I'm reflecting on the year, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what everyone's done and amazed at it. You know, and I think about one of the things that I'm proud of is the farm actually is to, that we, you know, we kept our, the college collab this a year ago, we, the school that was starting shut down on the first day of rehearsal and they just went to Zoom. And it was natural. And then, you know, the podcast went to Zoom. And, you know, we did a voiceover acting roundtable. And we found a socially distant commission play with Hillsborough Community College in, in uh, Tampa. And it was great. And our new Leah Romeo's college collab took off and uh, just had the production at Center College. It was impressive online. And then Wells is doing it in person this and I'm just just that things kept moving forward and and that we were kicking off next year's college collab playwright is talking to Austin P State University and Pellissippi State both in Tennessee and just excited that you know that, that we didn't stop and not that just the farm but all of us and it's really it's great and I had a conversation to, uh, talking with Melissa Friedman of uh, Epic theater ensemble and she's a founder co-founder of it co-artistic director and and great and we met uh, 20 years ago and you'll hear the little bit of that story of that epic was launching their launch date was 9 11 2001 and something else happened that day that got a lot more attention but what's really impressive is how strong they are and that they not only did they survive that but they they're, they built an incredible organization out of the work that they did from that time and continue to grow uh, today and are, are really a strong organization 20 years later that, you know, supports, empowers, mentors uh, high school artists in the city. And she's great and she the conversation's great. She's also an actor and, and director as well as leading that organization. And it's a really great conversation, but it reminded me, like, 20 years out of a, you know, we sort of bookend at this moment. There's the tragedy of 9-11 and then uh, at the beginning and then coming out of, 
pie is say coming out a year of the pandemic it feels like we're coming out i feel like at least the weather is nice and we're coming outside and then uh, more freely and then eventually we will all come together and get back to gathering together for theater and socializing and everything else but um but melissa was great to talk to and it was just uh, i think the conversation of coming out of 9-11 and that time when we met really was like all right we have a, we have the ability the agility to do this and we did and you know just take stock because i always i think it's good to do and i think i've said it before is like look at what you've done this year it's amazing and i think we're all frustrated that we're not doing what we want to do how we're doing it and some of us are some may be amazed at what they've been able to do i think i'm more critical of myself and i just sit back and thinking of other people in our community and just thinking yeah you're doing great you know and as i think about the college collab person that came a couple of people came to my mind who graduated and they've sort of had a year of feeling on hold but i saw on social media that none of them were on hold you know i just saw things this morning where they're talking about internships and that they're doing from a distance or cities they move to to pursue their career and starting to get entrenched in that community in some way. And it's, um, well, it's just, it's amazing. And so congratulations. And, um, you know, it's a, a year and it's going to get better from here on out. With that, just uh, the great conversation with Melissa. I'm so, so was grateful to have the opportunity to talk to her. We've worked a couple of times together and um, her and her company and, and what she has to say is really really great. So with that, play ball. I'm going to jump into something just for you. I saw the epic, is it a grant? It's a thing about leadership that you're doing. Am I right about that? You mean in American theater? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, um, we're working with a a group of producers, uh, Broadway producers, and they are offering a paid internship for uh, several of our high school students who are part of our Epic Next program, which is a youth leadership program in the arts, and they are offering this opportunity to gain in insight into producing. So yeah, that's just part of what we do at Epic is providing the, the young people who are at the heart of our programming opportunities to learn more about what's possible for themselves and uh to meet their own potential yeah yeah i thought it was amazing when i read about it because um obviously the farm cultivates early career artists mm -hmm. and then a little little later in their career than than the high school but but i was thinking like it's an amazing program to have started during a pandemic right and part of the reason i'm thinking that is because i think it's so we've all become producers you know yes <laughs> in our home like we're nobody's just an actor and nobody's just a director you yeah. also have to be a technician and and other things and i thought just the idea of give, empowering people to self to figure out how to create their own work is amazing yes absolutely we've been at Epic, you know, I'm a co-founder, co-artistic director of Epic, and and we are really looking at how to find opportunities in the world that we're in right now. We miss live theater like crazy, but at the heart of what we do is civic discourse and social change and young people and youth development work. So those things don't disappear and go away when we're in a pandemic. 
even though our preferred mode is live theater, we are shifting and we are adapting. We are focused on the heart of what we do rather than the, uh, the mode. Um, so we're finding ways to continue all of our in-school education, our after-school work, all of the work that we do with young people, our development of projects all through online. Um, but that's, it's been going really well. We've been able to expand even, but I have to say it's the, the, the experience of breathing the same air, which is not possible um, right now is greatly missed. And it, it's, it's hard. I'm hitting a bit of a, a quarantine wall right now, as many people are. Yeah, I'm feeling, you know, frustrated with not being able to be in the room and be in the circle. I miss. A, I've never missed being in a circle so much, um, and uh, it's it's really really hard. But there are advantages. Like I, my reconnection with our alums, which has always been a big feature of what we do, the long term focus of Epic, and over the last we are in our twentieth season right now, and uh, we have been you know, always saying where we have a long-term commitment to the young people we work with. And many of those young people go on to then mentor with us and teach with us and act with us. Uh, and so we've been able to connect with alums who are all over the country and make those and, and have alums come back into the work in even while they're in college because they can, because it's virtual. So we've been able to have all these wonderful appearances from, from alums throughout our work in the last, what is it, 11 million years of 11, quarantine? 11, yeah. I think, give yeah. or take a year. Um, and uh, just <laughs> time is no longer. No, it's funny. We're talking on a Tuesday, but my joke is every day is Tuesday when you're in quarantine. Yes, you know? yes, every day is Tuesday. <laughs> you know? It's so true on the weekend. I was like, what is a weekend? What? How is a weekend different than a week? Um, what is 11 p.m. versus, you know, what, I mean, I, I've lost my structure a bit, but. No, I've uh, decided that the weekend is any, any day in February where it's sunny and warm and I can walk a little further. Depending yes. on the day of the week, that makes it a, that makes you. it a weekend. That's, that's, that's real. That is real. Happy to be having the conversation because Epic is 20 years and I, mm -hmm. very funny, you and I met 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh. An incredible workshop that we uh, after 9/11 and um, right. what what inspired? I'm curious because I'm I'm going to get to what was before Epic, but what inspired Epic for you to to? I know there's three co-founders on right. You know, what what was it like? Hey, we're going to start our own company. Well, I had all of these disparate things going on that were siloed. And like, you know, are you a teacher? Are you an actor? Are you a director? Who are you? And this idea of being multi-hyphenated and all of that is taking up, is picking up steam. So the younger artists who are, who are growing up now kind of think, oh, I can be a lot of different things. But when I was growing up, it was, it was pick your lane. You know, which one are you? Are you an actor or a director? Are you a teacher? And so I was feeling a bit conflicted. I went to graduate school. I went to the Old Globe MFA acting program. Um, after a year, taking a year out of uh, Oberlin, after graduating Oberlin, I was in a touring company at George Street Playhouse, you know, children's theater tour, you know, um, and, uh, and then I went to the Old Globe and got my MFA in acting there. And then when I came to New York, I had, you know, about four years of 
regional theater acting. I was in an off Broadway, a couple off Broadway shows. I did, uh, you know, indie film stuff. And then I was also at the same time as developing my acting career, I was a teaching artist. And I had started doing teaching artist work even during college or in the, in the summer, uh, that kind of thing. And I was feeling a little bit nervous about learning the skill and, and, um, and craft of teaching because I felt like it might be a threat to my work as a professional actor. <laughs> you know, if I get to be a good teacher, then I'll have to ultimately pick teaching over acting and, you know, that kind of pick your lane idea. So at the same time as I was working professionally as an actor, I was also a teaching artist. I used to say for all of the theaters in New York City, but um, but pretty much, I mean, Roundabout, yeah. MCC, you know, um, all of them, just Theater for New Audience, new audience right. BAM. Um, I was I was all around town and I became, you know, uh, I, I got to be really good at it, really, really good at, at being a teaching artist. And I really loved it. But then ultimately, I felt like I was consistently having to pick between my fear about the two lanes started coming up, uh, coming true in that. I would, for example, be teaching a residency for a theater in a fifth grade classroom and get a call from a regional theater saying, we'd like you to come down and do this Oscar Wilde play or whatever. And I would have to say, I would be like, yes, I want to go. And then I would have to say goodbye to my fifth graders. And so I'd get replaced in the residency. So I was feeling this sense of getting torn between these two things and at the same time getting more and more and more engaged in activism and uh, social justice issues and protesting and feeling like my my life as a social justice warrior my life as a teaching artist and my life as an actor were in these siloed lanes and i was also noticing controversial statement, I was also noticing <laughs> that the theaters for which I worked had very strict and very clear um, lines between the teaching artist pool and the acting pool, that it in no way was an advantage that I was the top teaching artist at a theater. I would have to enter through a completely different door to be seen for an audition. And in fact, in some theaters, it was kind of a disadvantage, like, ooh, it's the teaching artists coming in, you know? And so I felt like that was nuts um, and that I was kind of getting sick of saying, uh, making a connection with my uh, students in a class and saying, you're gonna see this show next week. And they're like, are you in it? And I'd be like, no, you know, but I'm in another show where I'm not teaching. And, you know, it's just very, very strange, that lack of connection. So this is all laying the groundwork for Epic. There's a, there's a, there's a pathway leading me there. So I'm, in, I'm really interested as an artist in a holistic approach of the ways in which things connect. So when we founded Epic, we founded Epic with a group of of uh, at the time it was nine artists but quickly went down to seven and then six and then five <laughs> um, but it, it started about nine people in those early days and we were interested in this idea of a social justice focused theater company that had a robust and central arts education mission uh, within a functioning professional off-broadway 
theater company. So that the artist, we talked about these three hats, the artist who was at the helm of Epic uh, would be a, an administrator, a teaching artist, and an actor or administer or a producer, a teaching artist and a director, you know, depending, they would have an artistic and educational and producerial hat, um, the three hat model. Um, and so that was our very uh, um, early ideas of what Epic would be and that we would uh, really forge the, the way by an artist uh, being an artist led company. So we gathered in these what we called salons, which was just basically in my husband Ron and I's living room. We would invite artists over and we'd talk about what kind of theater do we want to make and what, what where would arts education fit into that and how could it be central and, and how can social, social justice play a role? What sort of plays would we be talking about? And we designed uh, a budget. We designed a marketing plan. We came up with this name of Epic Theater Center, which was our first name. It's still our official government name. Um, but people kept on asking us, where are you? What building? You know, they, they assumed it was an actual physical space. So we changed it to Epic Theater Ensemble um, about 10 years ago. And so, um, so we founded our company with the projected founding date being September 11th, 2001. So we, we planned that day of our first day of operations, the first day of payroll back months earlier. And that was everything, all of our fundraising efforts were all leading towards our start date of September 11th, wow. 2001. So that day happened. Well, I was in a meeting a in a launch. Yeah, a quiet launch. <laughs> um, but our whole idea was for theater is at the center of civic dialogue or can be a health at the center of a, a healthy democracy. And uh, theater is essential was something that came up over and over because it asks us to engage in empathy, look at big questions with multiple perspectives to really look at the humanity of a question in, live in space in the public forum together. And so it had to be essential to a healthy democracy. It's not an accident that democracy and theater were founded within the same breath, you know? And so I think that it was in some ways the great test uh, of 9-11 for us to say, all right, we're saying this, we're saying that theater is essential. 9-11 happens on our first day, what do we do? So it was, it was the first test, are we going to thrive or are we going to close? Because, you know, that was obviously a history, historically, it was a, a, a life-changing moment, a country-changing moment. It was a huge shift in the way everyone saw the world. So, so yeah, that happened. And we, in fact, did. That, that was, that was a, the day we met. We gathered a group of wonderful artists, including yourself, together in our first office space at the Film Center, remember? Yeah. And we we gathered together and we were all, there were so many people in the room and it was a real mix of people that we didn't know, that we did know, and we brainstormed these lessons of what we might do in a classroom with, with students. We volunteered to go into classrooms uh, all over the city, particularly those classrooms directly affected and impacted by what happened in 9-11, students who had to move to a different school site, students who saw what happened. Um, and we used those lessons that were devised that night. Uh, it was at Wednesday the 12th we gathered, right? It was really quick, yeah. It was really quick. We were in the classrooms on Thursday and Friday of that week. 
And it was uh, really an amazing experience. And, and being in community with young people right afterwards when we were able to create and make and, and heal together was the moment I knew I think that Epic was going to be okay. And that, and that is only because Epic was meaningful and impactful and we were making a difference immediately in a time of need. So I felt like, yes, this is, this is true. This hypothesis that we put out there actually proved to be true. And so it, it bolstered us to, to continue on and face more things, um, including cut to 2020 and the pandemic uh, and saying, you know, we're gonna, we're not going to fold. We're not gonna stop, Epic doesn't stop. That was a hashtag for a minute, by the way, hashtag Epic doesn't stop. Um, and uh, we don't, we're, I was busier than I'd, I'd been in a while in the days following the shutdown. I look back at my calendar and I, I was busy that week. <laughs> I, was, I was not chilling, I was not making bread. Uh-uh. You know, so uh I was I was working. Uh, you know, so um so That's it was hilarious. it was interesting. You know, I, I do, I still want to get to that though. I think it looks fun to make sourdough, but it does it does look fun. Yeah, it does look I fun. was not I'm not sure I'm I'm, I'm learning to cook a little bit during the pandemic, but I was not baking bread. It's actually really yeah. interesting when you said that about where's your space. I was like, whenever somebody asked me that about the farm theater, I just like, I point to my heart. You know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the National Theater of Scotland, which we partnered with before, and they're wonderful. Um, they, uh, they talk about being a theater without walls. And I loved that. And I thought, we actually talked about that when the pandemic really hit. Well, you know, Epic has always privately aligned ourselves with that. We haven't taken on that same phrase because the National Theatre of Scotland has coined it, but uh, but we have internally described ourselves as a theatre without walls and, and it's certainly proven. proven true in this time. You know, we are finding other ways to express ourselves as artists and to guide students in the process of expressing themselves. And I think, I think it's amazing, like you're right, and then sorry to go back 20 years or whatever, but in the 90s, you're right about that thing about not hyphenated. Like yeah. pick a lane and people were defined and um, and yes, it was hard to, it was hard slash almost impossible if you were doing one job in mm -hmm. one building to be looked at in the other part of the building as, a, as an artist for yeah. what we're asked to be a teaching artist for. Mm -hmm. um, and breaking that, and now I think, and what's great when I hear you start Epic is, it's actually what I was craving around the same period is like, oh, I want to combine everything I do. Right. And, and be be operating on all cylinders and not be limited. And I think I think there's a point, I'm thinking about the early career person starting now, like there's a there is more acceptance of you can do more. Mm -hmm. You know, you still have to commit. But it's what's great about doing all that work is you almost get to def not almost, you get to define what it is that drives you. You know, like you, yes. you did that so well with Epic of like, oh, I want to do this. That I don't want to exclude any one of it. I want it to all be there. Right. Which right. is different. Some people are like, oh, I don't want to teach it all. Then I don't, you know, and that's not their calling. And they were just making right. money or something or trying to support themselves. Yeah. Right, exactly. And to, I don't know, is we're all trying to figure out how to maximize what we got. You know, we're all trying to figure out like what makes me uniquely uh, what what makes me a unique artist what 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 do i have to con contribute um that is unique to the world and by picking a lane and and limiting yourself you're never really going to be able to 
do that, you know? And I think it's really acceptable and encouraged now for actors to think about producing and writing and directing rather than the second they start directing, people are going to see you as a director. People are going to see you as a director. Be careful. You know, um, no, it's, it's, um, right. They would see you as a director. Yeah. Would be good. No, just turn that around. I mean, I didn't start directing, um, until, I guess it was 17 years ago when I started directing and, and that's a long time ago now, but I was in my thirties. And so, I mean, I was, I was nervous about it when I was younger. I didn't, I wanted to be an actor. So I thought directing would, would take away from that image of myself as an actor. And now I, I am happy to do either. I love both. And I think they inform each other, at least in the way that I and I, I like to to work with directors. I I'm more aware of what what kind of actor I want to be uh, when I work with a director. And as a director, I'm super aware of um, the actor's process. You know. Yeah. So it's yeah, I, it's been interesting that way. Yeah, I was primarily an actor for a while. I mean, primarily a hundred years ago, and <laughs> and then as soon as you get to direct, you learn it's like miracle grow for acting because you see. You see so clearly on the other side what you yes. what you don't do, what you do do. You know, and you're like, oh, yeah. remember do that when you're working. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, and and when we train the young people we work with, particularly in our Epic Next program, which is where we really go deep over many years in their high school careers, we work with students in their in their classrooms, thousands of students a year in their classrooms, in their English and history classrooms and science classrooms, depending on the projects, in partnership with the the New York City Public Schools and beyond because of the pandemic, we've been actually working with schools outside of New York City as well. And we also do these after-school Shakespeare remix programs, but the Epic Next program is where we really do in-depth training and more and more we've been training them to be flexible, multi-hyphenated artists who are, we're learning the craft of directing and filmmaking and playwriting and devising and they're they're learning producing and um, they are learning how to be a teaching artist and all of the administrative tasks and and all of the aspects of of what it means to be an artist be an entrepreneurial artist and to to make sure your voice is heard because it's not enough to just learn how to execute the text to make right. your voice be heard, you have to make sure there's a platform and there's light on you. And we help with that at the beginning. But um, ultimately, when they go out in the world, when they graduate college, or when they're in college, they have to make sure that they can provide those platforms and and uh, be in the spotlight. And so I think that, that is important. Yeah, I love that. I love that phrase because I, I really am stumbled upon it like I want you want a bigger platform you want to elevate people and you want the light to shine on them so that it can be so they can be recognized for what they're doing yes and as opposed to just doing it very successfully very quietly and very unnoticed of the highest quality but it's going no it's not progressing and and not having not only about progressing career-wise but not having the impact it wants to have and that's you know one of the big lessons learned about how to get that platform raised up and how to how to put the spotlight on effectively has a lot to do with our focus on partnership and working with universities and not-for-profits and social justice organizations and asking them to commission the work that we do to help us get the 
uh, student voices out into the center of the conversation. So the work that Epic Next has been doing in uh, the fight on uh, integrating our schools, you know, with the pieces that they make, we, you know, we're partnering with organizations that help make sure that those plays are performed for the chancellor, that they're performed for the people who are making decisions. And, you know, many of the people who are higher up are saying, you know, Epic is a part of why the discussion, a big part of why the discussion about the segregation of our schools is at is front and center because enough stakeholders have seen our students perform these pieces that that they're they're swayed. Um, so it's pretty incredible. I I feel excited about this idea of the power of youth voice and the centering of youth voice right now in a way that I did when I was founding, when I was co-founding Epic, but I do even more so now. And uh, the time you were co-founding Epic, yours was a young voice that was being centered. That's right, 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 exactly. But it was, like you had some passion to, and and now that passion is still, I find, you know, I'm reflecting back on myself, that passion is still there, but it's to give the platform for the person who's at the immediate uh, yeah. issue it is that you're yes. talking about and they're being impacted and to hear them talk about it is powerful yeah you know my new my new dream it's not so much like oh, I'm giving up I'm I'm still an actor I love acting I don't know if I ever will stop um, but I my dream right now is to be in work where I am supporting as an actor and as a director the centering of the of the uh, alums of our programs they're starring in the pieces and I'm, I'm there, I'm the mom, I'm the aunt, I'm the whatever. I don't know. I'm the, I'm the friend, I'm the mentor. I'm the, you know, I, I would like to co-star or support um, their work in the, in the dream of the future. Um, I want to work alongside and support the, the, the passing of the torch over to uh, the students who really founded the program in many ways by, uh, right yeah. Exactly. So it's it's exciting. I, I feel I feel different now in some ways, but I feel the same uh, as well. It's just interesting to reflect in that 20th season back and then looking forward. What do you think the work in Epic and your work of that in, in the company, not that, but in the company has done for you in your pursuit of your individual artistic careers or in individual artistic endeavors of being an actor, being an, outside of it? There's a lot of things. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a multi-hyphenated answer. Um, so um, there is, uh, okay, one thing I've, I've been thinking about, one of the, the ways in which you know if you're heading in the right direction as an actor early in your career is partly validation, right? You book the job, you get into the grad school, that you get that review or like it or not, you know, you, you get an award. Um, those things have, ha- have happened to me in my career. I have gotten into the grad school and I've received awards and I've received uh, critical acclaim and I've been picked, right? That's validation from the outside. What Epic and what the students I've worked with have taught me and the focus on youth-centered programming has taught me is that I've learned that my talents as an actor and as a director uh, have worked (laughs) to inspire young people 
And that is an incredibly gratifying thing to, to be in front of a classroom and perform a scene and watch them lean forward and or to go from chaos to focus because of something that I've done or participated in. To me, that is much deeper than validation. That's impact and right. watching it happen right there. So that that has been an incredible experience to know that. Um, and the respect from my students for me as an artist means more to me than a random critic. Uh, so that that is that is more meaningful. That's a lesson that I've learned. But I also, when I'm teaching, you know this as a teaching artist, is that when I'm teaching something and then I have to turn around and do it, that really puts me to the test. I say, you know, if I'm focused on teaching objectives and tactics and internal obstacles, and then I go out on stage and I'm not doing that, you know, then <laughs> it all falls apart. So it really, it really is a wonderful thing to feed the teaching work feeds the, the artistic work and the artistic work feeds the teaching. The more that I'm working as an artist, the more I am, I think, full. My tank is full as a, as a, as a teaching artist. I have more to give. Uh, and so that's why when I hire artists and when I bring in people to the team, we have such a wonderful team of, of mentors at Epic, it's so important that they are also engaged with them as artists as well. Uh, and so they are performing, they are directing, they are working artistically with students as well as mentoring and teaching them. And that, that interplay is really exciting and, 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 and impactful. Does that answer your question? No, it does. It does on a, in a very hyphenated, multi-level <laughs> way. No, yeah. because what I would, you know, because there was two things you said. One is the impactful, of course, and the filling of the tank, which I think is really important. And I think when people are doing their own work and they're creating opportunities and it seems like, oh, I'm doing this thing. And I'm not saying this is true necessarily for you because you, you've got multiple things. But if you're, say, your path, path or your desire is to act and you're doing these other things to realize that not only does it fill your tank so that you can go out and share, but I was thinking about the inner confidence that the validation, the external validation that happens, but when you see the impact you're having on people, mm. carries that, that confidence, that's what I find. And when you were saying it, that really resonated with me, that confidence of like, oh, now I can walk into any room. If I can impact a 10th grader and I can, and I have that with me, then when I go into this other room where I used to worry if I had that confidence or belonging, I, that belonging is carried with me. There's something yes. that, that worked, that, that second step that you were describing really, yeah. really resonated because I thought, right, you start just by doing the work, you start to get the really a greater sense of self that doesn't have to come from that five minutes in the audition room, will they like me? Yeah. I also feel very, very fortunate at Epic. And it's, I feel fortunate, but it's also very intentional with Epic, how we are focused on the long term. So when I used to be a teaching artist for various organizations, I would go in, I would teach a class, I wouldn't see them again. That would be it. I would say goodbye after 10 visits, even 20 visits, and I'd be like, bye-bye. And there was no social media back then, back when I was a freelance teaching artist. So I would probably never, ever hear from them again. And I would wonder, did that make an impact? Did they take any of those lessons with them? But now I can talk to someone I taught 20 years ago and they can tell me 
why that made a difference. I can run into a former student of mine from 13 years ago while I'm touring a school for my daughter who says, oh my God, Melissa from Epic, you know, I teach Antigone now to my students because of what I did and I, and I, you know, what I did with you and go, oh, or to be on the phone with someone who's a senior in college and go, I can trace it back to this moment when I saw this show or when I experienced this in this classroom or this mentorship moment really was a turning point for me. So I get to really hear from alums, what was the moment that changed you? And the more stories I hear, the more confident I feel, the more truly internally validated I feel where I'm like, yes. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of heartbreaking stories amidst that. It's not like one story after another of triumph. Um, it's, you know, there are stories of students disappearing, of students, you know, not connecting to the material, of feeling frustrated and feeling not heard. There, there's so many moments where resilience is challenging, where, where, I, where, where I question things. And I really can now more and more lean on feeling, uh, really lean on the, on the well of, of stories and, and, uh, you know, proof that the, this works, you know, it may not work for everyone, but it does work and it is impactful. So I feel very fortunate, again, intentionally fortunate, but in for, but very fortunate to be able to know and not to wonder. Yeah, you know? I like the intentional fortunate because. Uh, yeah, I've never said that before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it. It's yeah. a really great phrase because when you say it, I go, it's not fortunate. It, it's not lucky. No. You know, there's a lot of yeah. work that goes into it. I'm trying to, here's the question I was going to ask earlier, and I'm trying to figure out which way to ask it, because I was like thinking about what's the moment that got you to the next level where you knew, and my thought is where you knew you'd have an individual career, anything that happened could be, I went to grad school and I started mm -hmm. globe, or when we got this grant for, you know, I, I don't know if it's to ask about the institution or the personal, but either one of them, if there's a moment mm. in your journey where you said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to get to the next level, whatever that means. And I think you can appreciate that next level means. Yeah, enough. I mean, there's several. I mean, I think what's interesting is there's multiple levels. I think if you're if you're entering a career that is, an, is as, uncertain, as uncertain as being an actor, at least that was my intention when I started. I was like, I want to be an actor. I will teach as well from time to time, but I want to be an actor. I'm a professional actor. So for that kind of uncertain future, there isn't that necessarily that one moment. I don't think for many people, it's a series of moments. So probably the first moment was my first job, you know, when I, when I booked um, the George Street Playhouse tour out of undergrad and they were like, you know, we normally hire out of this school, but we saw you and we, you know, we booked it, you know, and it was like a year long gig, you know, and I was understudying at George Street and I was touring all over. Um, so it felt very validating to receive a paycheck for my art. That was the first moment when I thought, oh, I could be an actor. And then of course, for me getting into that graduate program, it's only seven actors are selected a year at the Old Globe and you're paid as well. So money can, can be a, a powerful, thing and when when you're trying to build a life and people start paying you for it that can be a, a sense of like i think i could do this you know um so that program was really was really powerful for me being selected to be a member of that class uh back 
back then. Uh, so that was a really powerful moment for me as an actor. And uh, that uh, that is for me uh, something funny to think about now because then I graduated from that program and I kind of realized quickly upon entering New York City that the life I wanted as an actor wasn't the life that was possible for me as an actor. That I was a I was a company actor who loved New York City. What on earth am I gonna do about that? I, I experienced tremendous heartbreak because I didn't want to go from regional theater gig to regional theater gig like I was starting to do. And I don't even want to go from off-Broadway gig to off-Broadway gig. I don't really want to be a freelancer. What am I, there were very few company actor positions across the country, let alone New York City. I got one of them, which was with Irondale. Um, and I worked for Irondale for a year under contract in, in New York City. And that was the moment in some ways I credit Irondale for inspiring me to say, oh, there is a company in New York City that's possible and they're still going, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it, it wasn't the right company for me, love those guys, but wasn't the right company for me in, in that I had this idea of what I wanted to, to make, right? You know, that can happen. And so not that long after, it was maybe two years after leaving Irondale, I really, we launched into the founding of Epic. So uh, we, that for me was, was another way of indicating that it's possible to have a, a theater company in New York City where I could be on salary and really focus on that. I don't really audition very often. Ironically, right before the pandemic, I was looking at getting new headshots and putting myself out there a little bit and, and thinking about, you know, it would be good and healthy for me to step away from Epic from time to time and audition for other things. Not, you know, right. not as a permanent thing, not leaving Epic, but just every once in a while to, to book some stuff. And that was literally, I think it must've been three months before pandemic times. And I've just recalled that that was an intention I had, like just this moment. I was like, oh God. Uh, I want to share, I had that intention <laughs> for the farm and I concentrated five months before the pandemic of like, I should go out now and start pursuing some more directing work. Right, right. Had a, had a little momentum and then, yeah. then March happened. <laughs> No, it's like I went on one audition right before the pandemic and I was like, oh my God, this is, I don't know if I want to do this, but um, it's auditioning is, it's a weird thing. It's, I would, I would hope that this pandemic really opens up and changes the nature of auditioning. You know, just, I, I just think it maybe has been stuck in the same mode for a while. And I think that we want as a, as an industry to approach it with more humanity and with more respect and and openness. And I, I would love to, to crack that open a bit. Um, but uh, I do um, I do think for the moment with Epic was probably that seminal moment with 9-11 of saying, yes, we, we can survive this first great test of is it possible to survive something this big? And we did, and we were recognized. We had, we thought we might close and we received a phone call, like it was a movie or something from the New York Times, wanted to profile us for the work we did after 9-11. Um, and that led to funders, it led to recognition, right in the moment where we thought we might have to close because our big fundraising campaign, our mailers had gone out with an anthrax scare 
I don't know if you remember this, but there was a big anthrax. Don't open your mail, everyone said. And our, literally, it was the day after we had sent out all of our fundraising letters. Don't open your mail, you'll die. So um, we, needless to say, fell short on our fundraising goals. And uh, yeah, you know, and then we got that. And then we had our first big gala and we did really well. We had some wonderful uh, celebrity friends who came on board and helped us and who are really, really wonderful, Kira Sedgwick and Daphne Rubin-Vega, and who really just, you know, rose to the challenge and helped us take off. And um, in those early days, some of the some of those supporters who validated us and said, yes, I believe in what you're doing, who are still with us, um, someone like David Strathairn, who has yeah. worked in many shows of ours and is a supporter and advocate for us, he came on board right away. Uh, with Epic. He just heard our mission. He heard us speak. And he said, yeah, I'm aligning myself with you. And I was a fan. I was like a crazy fan of his as an actor. And I couldn't be a bigger fan of him. I don't know if you know him personally, but he might be one of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life. In fact, he is one of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life, a true mensch. And um, and he was someone who really, you know, having someone you admire like that say, yes, I love what you're doing. Someone like Eric Booth, who was a mentor to me as a teaching artist saying, yes, what Epic is doing is absolutely groundbreaking and important and vital. Those mentors, those people you admire stepping forward. We got a, a, a check and a note from Meryl Streep in October, 2001 that said, yes, I heard about what you're doing you know, uh, this is fantastic. You know, those kind of moments that make you go, oh God, we're being supported. We're being applauded. That's going to push us forward. You know, that those were really important moments. For All us. right. I got to ask because right. a lot of that attention came because the Times wrote about what you did. Mm -hmm. Right. And just because how did the Times, did the Times hear about it or did you, did you have a PR person who told them? Did it just word of mouth? Because that's a little lightning in a bottle that doesn't happen very often. No, God, that's a great question. I, I, I wish I could remember. This was, this was back in October. Remember, Abby Goodenough wrote the article, um, and uh, she's still on the beat, on the education beat. Um, so, um, how did they hear about us? I don't know if we actually asked. It wasn't a PR person. I'm not sure if we actually asked. I think it's that partly because we were in that room with all of those people that day you were there and we were communicating with our larger uh, company and we were certainly very established as individual teaching artists and educators. Ron, my husband, Ron, who's a co-founder, was the education director of Theater for a New Audience for five years prior to founding Epic. Zach Berkman worked for Margot Lyon, the Broadway producer. We, we were we had all been working uh, significantly in New York City at the time. So I think it must have been someone had heard of us and gave our um, name along. But honestly, I don't remember. Because, because the it phone is. rang and it was like, I remember literally Ron going, it's the New York Times. They want to do an article. <laughs> and I was going like, what? We were literally in like the, I think we might have to close. The anthrax thing is going to, we don't have any money in the bank. What are we going to do? And the phone rang. It was like a movie. It was straight up. Very few moments like that in our in our lives where where it was that much, like a like a, like a movie. <laughs> it is like a movie, but it, <laughs> and it was something about that time. Also, I remember not to not to get 
where there wasn't a lot happening. Like people, it felt like- Yeah, the, people shut down. Shut down. I mean, it's interesting about the pandemic and we shut down for a year, but there it was like theaters, people, there was not an increase of work or there was not an openness. No. Because I remember uh, I was doing a project with young playwrights at the time and, you know, but there wasn't any other work happening after that. Uh, yeah. I actually found it pretty mystifying. And I was, I was a bit heartbroken that theaters said it's not appropriate for us to work right now. You know, that theaters were saying, we've out of respect, we've got to close our doors. And I thought, no, 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 the public forum, the place where community comes together, it's more important than ever. Are, are we essential or not? Are we luxury or are we essential? Which one? And if we're essential, we have to open the doors. The doors need to be thrown open. And if you can't open your doors, open your doors and invite Epic in, invite other organizations that want to do this work in. Um, so I was I was pretty frustrated. And a lot of actors left acting because they were like, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, and, and I never asked, what am I doing? I have to say, I I felt like it was again, it was a thoughtful, fortunate feeling. Like it was that feeling of like, I felt fortunate that the way that we looked at theater was in, in the mode of being an essential occupation and not something that had to be thrown aside for the sake of what we really needed right now, which was to focus on safety and health. All of those things, of course, are important. Right. But if we don't have community and if we don't have humanity and empathy and creativity what are we as a as a world as a community if we don't have those things if we aren't able to tell stories together then what are we doing it for and uh so that was something that you know put us to the test also the communities we work with are often the most underserved uh and oft neglected communities in the city and in the country. Uh, and so we thought, yeah, it's easy to say, well, it's out of out of respect, let's close our doors. But like, what about the constituencies who don't get to decide that? That's how we felt with the pandemic. Many of our students, their families were working. They were out, they were taking the subway. They were, they, they couldn't choose to be inside and quarantined the way many people were. And so uh, I felt it was, I think it's a little distant when people were screaming on social media of like, stay inside, stay inside, don't go out, you know, and we're like, okay, yes, <laughs> yes, that is true. But let can we address the fact that the, the government isn't providing the kind of support required if everyone really truly is going to have to stay inside? You're well, staying inside and you're ordering from Amazon and Fresh Direct. Who is delivering those things to you? Right. Right. And so, I, you know, I, I just an, an awareness, an awareness of all of that stuff, an awareness of that. And um, because the people that I love and the people that I work with are really facing that head on. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I agree. And also that idea of, yes, what you just said is right about the Amazon delivery, because I go, we can all stay inside, but somebody has to, somebody right. is going to the store to make sure there's food available yeah. for me to have in my house. And uh, how do we serve those people? When people approach you, that at times comes and you know, and I know that this is true throughout the history. It's that I'm interested in that courage of asking for help in the beginning, of when you went to the Kira Sedwicks and the Daphnes and said, 
were started or whoever you asked, like, did you find that hard or is that just a skill that you and your partners had and mm. were comfortable with? Because I think that's for, I will just, you know, point at me and think I'm thinking about the audience, but I'm also thinking for me, like one of the challenges going, who do I ask for what, when, and, and am I comfortable doing that? Mm. And I think you're, because hearing, the other thing I haven't said out loud is that workshop we did, you know, I'll never forget it. And the work that the kids did, there's a kid did a drawing of the Twin Towers and wrote a poem about it. And there's a line, Lady Liberty watched her two siblings fall. And I'm like, I'll never forget that sentence because it was a kid with a drawing and then they were inspired to go off and write poems based on the drawing. And right. And I'm like, oh, right, that's what happened. Yeah, right. We offered all of those modalities. Some some of the lessons were starting with drawing and into poetry. Some were with discussions into poetry. Some were tableau-based work, kind of Augusto Boal-esque work. Um, and I know, I, I remember, I actually remember this comment that a student made afterwards when we were reflecting, who said, I thought you were going to make a... Sh- um, put our heads down and reflect on what happened. But I actually laughed for the first time. And it was, someone said something and we all laughed, you know, not obviously at what had happened on 9-11, but it was like a genuinely funny moment that happened. I don't even remember what it was. And we all were laughing in this release together in this room and feeling hopeful, you know? Yeah. Uh, so some of the classes I taught in those days following 9-11 were really, really cathartic and some of them were actually strangely funny and um some of them were uh just hopeful i, I felt all of them were hopeful all ultimately all were because hopeful. and i felt i don't know about you but i felt a little bit like well everyone was you know in their pajamas watching the news and i was out in the world i was come back and go oh there's an other side to this i can see the horizon i can see it. and everyone's like what are you talking about I'm depressed and watching CNN. And, uh, and I felt, I felt like, no, 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 the students, they see hope. So I can, and you can, and, you know, um, so yes, but you're, you're quite, wait, what was your question? I didn't answer it. That's okay. But my question was like asking for help. Oh, how do you ask for, oh God, the asking for help from celebrities, that question, or from from anyone, but, um, in this, in that case, people who are authorizers for your organization and could help. Yes. Yeah. People who are, you know, there are people who are very helpful in communicating to an audience of funders, an audience of any kind uh, that, you know, oh, well, I want to tune in. I want to see what they got to say. Uh, we, we got a lot of no's, a lot of no's from people who are like, I'm sorry, no, or no, no response. But, you know, part of it is like, building on the connections that you've made. I wasn't, I didn't start Epic. I didn't co-found Epic at the age of 22. So I had met people, I had a network. So did everybody else in, in the company. So the, the, the people we were calling on were partly, you know, Kira was connected to a person on our board. So our board member was asking Kira, you know, that the, these are things that will happen. So like one of my, one of my, the one of wonderful partnerships I have right now is with the actress, Susan Kalechi Watson, who is uh, one of the stars of This Is Us, and and she and I work, have been working on a project together for the last five years with young people on playwriting called the I Am Epic Young uh, Playwrights Festival, and and it's a fantastic program, and we're and we've been working together very closely for the last few years. But she approached me 
You know, she was like, hey, through a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, I would love to start having coffee with you and talking to you a little bit about uh, a program maybe we could do together. Or how can I be involved? So that has happened now in these years where people have approached us who are um, really established or celebrities in, in the world who say, I've, I've heard what's, what's happening. That's a rare instance. Sue is an incredible, amazing human. So it doesn't surprise me now that I know her really well that she would do something like that. But, um, but, you know, in terms of reaching out, I feel like you just kind of have to know what that person's mission is. They make it clear. They say things like, I really deeply value the role of arts education, or I am a social justice warrior. I, I feel like it's, it's really important that X, Y, and Z, and you hear what they say and you go, do I have a connection with this person? Can I ask them? That's what we did early in our career. We said, hey, can we use your name to make this connect? We started to do the, you know, six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon, um, literally to lead us literally. to Kevin Bacon. Um, <laughs> but um, but uh, we were really interested in how, how we can get real advocates on board, you know, and that was really helpful in those early days. Uh, it was fun because, you know, doing a show with David, Strathairn, uh, you know, a lot of of really fancy people came to see. I, we did a show where we played opposite each other in a play called Hannah and Martin, and we had a parade of of really incredible people come and visit with us backstage. That was a real. That was a, that in terms of like the silly thing. I was like, oh, that was really fun. Like James Earl Jones came backstage, and you know, Brooke Shields, and so like it was very it was a really wonderful thing and then some of those people ended up being advocates at least for a short time for epic you know and uh because they were introduced through another person who was an advocate so uh, and i think that short term thing is always going to happen right there's yeah. a short term of like yeah. oh great this is great and then some stick some go some stick and some don't you know and that's it's no it's no problem you know we have we have our our who work with us for a time who we now we try to reach out to and we're like hi remember us and it's like hard to get through their uh their people yeah. right and we don't know if it's that they're not hearing or if we haven't found the right way back in or if it's just that they've moved on and they're working and prioritizing another organization and that's totally fine it's totally that's fine. what happens it's what happens and being not i guess there's two things in just not thinking that that person's going to be with you for the lifetime of your organization um, uh, there are a few, like like David Strathair and Kathleen Chalfond, um, who are you know like the, I just they're they're just like we are lifetime advocates, <laughs> you know we aren't going anywhere. We will always support Epic, you know, and they've stated that publicly and privately to us in a way that's very very real. Yes. So, um, but then there are there are people who are like I really love what this project is about, and I'm with you for this amount of time, and we appreciate it, and it's awesome. And then they find another organization that they patronize, and um, and that's awesome that, that you know that they support, and we understand that. So, uh, but it's fun to have them while they're there. Does not have to be the young artist that you work with every day, but when you think of somebody beginning their professional career what advice would you have to share that you think like because they might not yeah what advice any any direction they might be going well i i do give advice a lot to my former students so i would say some i give different kinds of advice to different students you know and i think that's is meaningful because 
one piece of advice that you receive isn't going to necessarily, one advice rather, isn't going to apply to every young actor out there. And I think in some ways, the best advice comes from someone who maybe knows what you want to do rather than like listening, you know, <laughs> to just sort of general advice. So take this all with a grain of salt, which is, I think, right? Um, I think that you don't have to decide where you're headed now. This is the big thing. You don't have to know where you're, everyone says, what's your 10 year plan? What's your 20 year plan? What's your lifetime plan? Where do you want to be? <laughs> I'm like, how are you supposed to know? You don't know if a pandemic is coming. You don't know if everything is going to shift in terms of a new platform that we can't even, the hologram platform, hologram theater. I don't know. Um, what's next? <laughs> and so uh, we don't know exactly. You don't know that you don't want to direct. You don't know that you don't want to write. Don't limit yourself. Uh, and uh, just passionately with curiosity, make a big, beautiful, bold step forward, you know? And that's I, what I would say is try to, try to move forward uh, with, with love and curiosity and courage and, not move, and try not to move forward with fear. Um, that is not to say that we don't have to support ourselves as young artists. So you have to think, okay, how am I going to support my pursuit so that I'm able to uh, pay the rent and have food on my table. But in terms of moving forward with uh, curiosity and openness and the spirit of adventure, that is, that is so important rather than going, I've got to lock it all down. I've got to, I've got to make it all, I have to figure it all out now. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's a really big thing. And I think a lot of the students I work with get a lot of pressure to lock it all down to figure it all out especially the higher achieving you are the more the pressure is like are you going to go to law school what are you going to do what's your major what are you going to you know how are you going to uh lock down your future and i would say uh, to to be able to really step forward with with openness and with curiosity that's that's the biggest piece of advice i have also like get good at stuff you know <laughs> get good at stuff, be needed, you know, and um, you know what I mean? like really practice your craft. It's not just about big, bold, beautiful, open, courageous steps. It's also about dedication and determination and obsession in the right amount, um, whatever that means. And really, really zooming in on your craft. You know, one of the things I learned when I was making my big step and going into the touring company at George Street, which I have, I don't think I've talked about so much in 20 years. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't know if I've even said that the theater's name in a while, but uh, it's coming back to me now, uh, was, oh my God, I don't, I'm not vocally prepared for the, to be the kind of actor I want to be when I was going out on tour at 7.30 in the morning and performing for an audience of a thousand seventh graders, I, uh, I was losing my voice and I needed to get the vocal training. I needed, I wanted, I had a real desire to do classical text and I, I didn't have this full skill set for that and I wanted to get some classical training. So that led me to the old globe and my, my training and dedication. So the other advice is I think, you know, assess your training level. Do you have the tools that you need to move forward? You might, 
you might not, I'm not saying grad school is for everyone. You might have the tools needed to move forward, but if you don't get those tools and don't try to necessarily embark on a career right out of college or uh, when you don't have the tools to fairly represent your intentions, right? So, uh, you know, a lot of people want to just get started an audition, but what if you get that audition or that meeting for someone and you can't deliver because you don't have the the skill set to be able to deliver what you want to deliver, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's a real pairing of those things. It's, it's having the skill set and the tools and also um, the, the big, beautiful, open curiosity that you need to, to enter into the world of a multi-hyphenated artist um, <laughs> becoming that. Uh, that is, that is my thought. And I encourage multi-hyphenatedness because when you are one thing, if that one thing dries up, boy, that's hard. And I don't mean because like you don't get work necessarily, but because you're in a pandemic or whatever, whatever it may be, you can lean on the other parts of your work. You can say, you know, but I do, I can still teach and I can still direct and I can still do these other things and sometimes even act. Um, so I can pull on different aspects of, of what I do. fun to uh thank you melissa it was great to talk to you it's just it's great and the energy is great and you know what she said at the end it's uh just the very end about being hyphenated and having multi-skills it's like right because you're going to shift you don't know a pandemic's coming and you're going to all of a sudden need something else and we've all learned different skills obviously i love that and i also love the intentionally fortunate because it's so funny. I think when people say, oh, I've been fortunate, it feels like there's a little luck. And I like that intentionally in front of it because it's, it's not luck. You know, you had to put in the work and you had to be prepared to, you know, somebody said, you know, nobody's lucky if they weren't prepared. And it's like you had to do the work not only to create the opportunity, but actually to be able to take advantage of the opportunity. And I just like that phrase. And a lot of it was good. It was really great to talk to her. And uh, thank you. And thank you all for listening. And you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say a lot anymore. I've I talked a lot in the intro, and I'm just gonna want to say congratulations on making the year. It's been I want to talk about the positive and focus on that. I know it's been not easy, and so I hope hope everybody's getting a little sense of hope or a little less burden and more sense of ease of being able to just go outside and the potential of being able to gather safely with each other is uh, it's it's really feeling close and that's good and we've also continued to do stuff for a year and create and so you know really uh, we should take a moment and just appreciate that and you know thank you for listening and continue to listen to the pod throughout the year and sharing it with people and I'm always cautious to say the part about the five-star ratings on Apple podcast but you know not a not a surprise that it helps people find it and I'm really appreciating everybody sharing the podcast with those who they think would enjoy it. And uh, it's been nice to have this for the year and to have the conversation and not only talk with other artists, but get to share it with you and talk with each of you over the past year. So, so thanks for being here. With that, we're out.